This is Thrive Perspectives, an ever-growing discussion about the issues and ideas that shape our lives with your guide, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Connell. Morning, Stuart. Yeah. These studio sessions come around uh, often, don't they? They do. I'm excited about today. This is, this is a juicy one today. I'm excited about yeah. today too. I've been typing into my little... <laughs> bot to get answers on things. No. Well, welcome listeners. Great to have you with us as we uh, launch into this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Uh, again, uh, we've got our good friend Connell here, uh, Pastor Matt and myself, and we're going to lead through a discussion today on how as Christians we should respond and approach the ethical dilemmas, potentially, uh, that have arisen as a result of things like artificial intelligence, synthetic biology, those sorts of things that are starting to come into the fore. Uh, AI, we hear a lot about it these days through the news media and and, uh, even throughout general society now. I think many people are familiar with Mm. AI and some of the chat GPT bots and things that are out there. Um, You know, browser companies uh, are, are adding artificial intelligence to their browser to help us with searching. Mm. And, and the reality is some of this has existed for quite some time. Mm. I mean, we've for many years we've had computer systems or technology that protects us from certain things, but the acceleration really yeah. in the last two years probably. And, and, and it's interesting because we have, and, and Connell will give us a rundown on where things are up to, but we really have crossed a threshold. And I think, I mean, the acceleration of of discussion around this topic on podcasts and it is because we have actually crossed a threshold. So, yeah. for example, there's a book by Max Telegmark called Life 3.0, and he's discussing this. This is a book's a few years old. He's discussing this saying, we're on the cusp. This is about to come. Yeah. And actually now it's it's happened like with you know yeah. chat gpt3 and then 4 and and the and the level of acceleration of this technology uh, it's now the starting starting gun has fired and, so let's and we're be, on our way. Let's, before we jump into that, um, we're going to get Connell to give us a little bit of a, a summary yeah. uh, explanation of what we're, what we're talking about here. <laughs> Connell's worked in the IT uh, industry for many, many years and, and I think has been following this uh, reasonably closely. So Connell, in uh, three and a half hours or less, give us a little bit of an insight into where things are yep. up to and what we're talking about when we talk about AI. Yeah, well, I'm by no means an expert you know, AI at all. Um, my background was in computer science and software engineering mm. and so on. So I, I can appreciate the topics and, 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 you know, like as far as using AI on a daily basis, I do that. I think most days mm. it's actually a, a tool that kind of helps me through my work through the day. And, and I'm often find myself completely amazed at yeah. what it can do. Like, you yeah, know, me too. Scary. Um, yeah, it's, it's scary. Yeah. You know, and I, and other times I'm kind of disappointed in it as well. It's like, really, you know, that's yeah. that's a pretty bad answer. You yeah. know, it's got a fair bit wrong. Yeah, I've yeah. had to correct there. mine a few times. I'd have to say. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you go back and go, hang on, no, no, and it goes, oh, apologies. You know, you're yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> and it says yeah. that even if you're wrong, though. Yeah, don't, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's yeah. Like, don't insult it now, guys. It's listening to us. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> It's, gonna, it's yeah. Five years time, it'll just destroy yeah. you for yeah. saying that. Yeah. It'll so, be on record. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely, you know, you, you hear a lot of people out there too talking about it, and they, it's there's a lot of hype that comes with it. You know, uh, people talk about it that AI is going to take over the world and replace us as humans and and so on, and then you get the other side of the equation, which is that it's nowhere near as good as it's made out to be, and it's all kind of marketing spin. And there's just some truth in both sides. It's not as good as it is often made out to be. And in other ways, it's incredibly more powerful yeah, yeah. than probably even the creators of it yeah. thought it yeah. would have been. You know, like the, the technology itself, let's not, I'm not, I don't want to downplay it at all. It is an incredible tool and technology. And as you said, Matt, I think, Without getting into what it can or cannot do today, we've crossed crossed a technology mm. threshold. Mm. Yeah, which for me, with my computer science background, I've always argued is not possible mm. for computers mm. to do what mm. able to do now. So the like the fundamental shift that we see in AI that we that we've that what that threshold kind of represents is computers have always been very deterministic mm. in what they how they work. So, you know, you have software 
uh, code that basically takes inputs and based on a set of rules, it really isn't much more sophisticated than if this, then do that. Mm. And some really basic arithmetic that mm. goes in there. And everything is built on on that. Mm. And then, so that gives you a set of outputs. Now, at no point is the computer ever thinking for itself. It's just blindly following a set of mm. of rules. Yeah. So what if we define what the inputs and what the outputs are going to be, and we just create the software to allow that to happen. The difference with that with AI is is that we're not really defining the inputs and the outputs. We're we're training the computer to have some capacity to figure things out for itself. And to evolve its own intel- intelligence. Yeah. And obviously, the key word is artificial intelligence yeah. because we would say it's not real intelligence in the way that humans do it. But whether it's real or artificial, if the end result is the same the thing. The power is there. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. it seems that computers are able to figure out things that we've never told it. Yeah. And, and, and this is where some of the some of the philosophical debate is around you know what is intelligence and and even i mean the consciousness thing is a is a thing that we'll we'll, we'll visit yeah uh, we could touch but, on that yeah yeah and so the ability then for computers to sort of reach into the area of intelligence is is as you say a big philos- opens up yeah. a whole minefield of yeah. philosophical questions and potential ethical mm. dilemmas there uh, the artificial intelligence that you see today in computers is nothing compared to the intelligence of the human mind. But the difference is the artificial intelligence can consume so much more information. Like These things are learning by reading news articles, research journals. Constantly. um, Blog articles, everything that's been published online, they're Mm. consuming it. It's not possible for us to consume all of that as as humans. It can process it far, far quicker than Mm. what we ever can. And it can be so much more accurate and precise at doing it than we can as as humans. But also, to help illustrate that a little bit more, it's a centralized pool, whereas if we could combine all of our intelligence, we would have that, but we just aren't combined, whereas this is all this information coming into one, essentially one central place and being accessible to... Maybe it's even more than if we were to combine all yeah. even the intelligence of the world, because we're able to take all of that and then we're able to compound and build on it yeah. and keep building on it and keep yeah. building on it. So it's not like we die and take our no, knowledge right. with us. It that's kind right. of keeps compounding and yeah. keeps mm. keeps learning. So what we're seeing is the ability to for computers to kind of learn and be able to assemble vast, vast amounts of information and see context and connect ideas from mm-hmm. disparate sources and even draw conclusions. Yeah. Now, that is a completely different fundamental shift in technology. And we could see it like in conventional software, there was always like a classical problem of even like doing image recognition. Like if you show, a, if you wanted to teach a computer how to recognize a dog in a picture, you show it a picture of a dog. But if you then show it a picture of a dog, but taken front on instead of side mm. on, you'd have to teach it how to maybe you know, rotate this image in mm. some sort of three dimensions in order to understand how to see the dog. And then you've got brown dogs and big dogs and dogs. Mm. Which, and it just goes on and on. And so for computers to learn those kinds of intuitive... And just an aside on that, just for a curiosity point too, you know when you get prompted the little pictures, where's the stairs in these pictures? Yeah, yeah. That's Google feeding that information because yeah. it's giving you pictures of dogs from every different angle and yeah. it's getting a human to say which is actually a dog and which isn't. And that's informing the AI that sits, for instance, in Google, but there's lots of other that's ones. That's dealing well. with a human. The computer's being told what a dog looks like, side on, front on, back yeah, on, yeah. because we're having to pick pictures that have a dog in it and pictures yeah. that don't have a dog yeah. in it to, to get a log on to something. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And that's information is helping inform the computer what a dog looks like from everyone. Right. train the computers yeah. in the background. It's tra- we're training them, essentially. Yeah. Now, if you, take a, if you were to take a, a, you know, a young child and show them a picture of a dog... You might show them two pictures of a dog and forever they'll recognize dogs. doesn't yeah. matter what shape or size or yeah. what angle. Yeah. Like the capacity of the human brain mm. is so, so vast in comparison to computers where mm. computers have to process like millions of images of dogs. I have seen dogs, by the way, that I've looked at and thought, that is not a dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Sorry, keep so going. excluding uh, you, Matt. <laughs> but yeah, the capacity of the human brain is 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 yeah. unparalleled. But 
as I say, artificial intelligence, it's the sheer volume of information and speed at which it can process it and the compounding effect that we get from well, it. Talk about that, Connell, because the it's the exponential growth that's one of the things, one of the issues mm. here, because it's it's not just about what can be done now, but how fast it's yeah. actually the technology is compounding, as you say, it's this exponential growth. The illustration that I, or the example that I heard is the difference between ChatGPT3, which is so ChatGPT is a AI, mm. and ChatGPT4. Um, I think you've got the, the- Yeah, 10 times. It's like 10 times- In the space of less than a year. One year. Right? Yeah. Right? In less one year, yeah. it's improved- 10 times now if you do it's it's the you know there's that uh famous you know rice on the chessboard example to to illustrate exponential growth that if you put a piece of rice one piece of rice on one square and then the next one you double it and then the next one you double it again and how many pieces of rice do you end up yeah, at the end the it, it blew my mind because you end up with trillions and trillions like houses mm. could not you, you know you couldn't so by the time you get to that last piece, and that's just that limited, you know, thing on a chessboard. Now that's just by doubling it, right? Mm. Now every year, you know, ten if, times. If we're saying in one year ten times, and then that rate even compounds, mm. we're we're talking staggering levels of like absolutely staggering levels of exponential growth, mm. and that's with standard computing. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. How would, you know, so for example, let me ask you this, uh, Connell, you know, because there, there are these things called quantum computers and I don't know much about them, but is surely this is all going to make a difference. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can speak a bit to that so exponential the, growth. The thing, there's always going to be, there's always technology changes that happen. Mm. And we've, we've witnessed them through the history of the world, industrial revolution and even invention of electricity and then printing press. going to <clears throat> printing press and mm. motor yeah. vehicles and aircraft and the internet. And, uh, you know, the creation of more and more sophisticated mm. weaponry that comes out of every mm. technological evolution has a, has a good and a bad mm. side to it. And it, it's, it's always this march forward to be, to build on, on, on top of itself and become bigger and bigger and mm. bigger. Where we actually see the big jumps in evolution of our technology is when we see the convergence of of things that causes things to move forward exponentially. Mm. So one of the ways you could look at it and say, well, look, supposedly even just, let's just take AI, for example. AI allows us to process information far quicker than what we, we, mm. we've ever been able to do. That's, mm. That is in itself going to represent uh, an exponential growth mm. in, in a whole range mm. of areas of technology that we just could never have done ourselves. So yeah. that in itself is just going to, we are going to see in the space of like 12 months, major advances in technology. And we're seeing it now in terms of even like medical research, yeah. the fact that AI will be able to detect cancer from tiny little mm. signals that we give off in our body mm. in some way, the way we look, the way we blink or the, you know, some kind of blood test that are completely invisible to us as humans because you we can't process that much data. We can't quickly process. We, yeah. In order to learn what those mm. markers are, we'd have to be able to process millions and millions mm. of blood samples and, and correlate it to all the different diagnoses mm. that have happened with people over the years. Mm. And then AI could see the patterns in that that we can't see. So that mm. is itself going to spur big advances in terms of technology. So we're going to see that as an explosion. We're going to see AI getting smarter much quicker than it has been. And like even with ChatGPT, that came out of nowhere. Now, they've been working on that, obviously, for many years. But mm. I think when it landed, everybody was kind of completely surprised at how far that had come. Mm. And now we're seeing those exponential gains in yeah. the technology itself. So when you're, when you're looking at any of it, yeah, it's the exponential bit that's the scary bit. Because that means then we can say, well, what might have taken us a thousand years to do? we might be able to do in one hour. Mm. You know, those kinds of gains yeah. usher in really a new era for the mm. world. Now, as well as that, we've also got convergence of other things going on. And you mm. mentioned their quantum computing. Quantum computing, which I understand they do have quantum computers now, but they're pretty unstable, they're very expensive, and mm. we're still trying to figure out how to use them properly. But they are there, and I think probably within the next 10 years, they think that they're going to, 
to be able to harness the power of quantum computers in a much more significant way than they are now. But the scary thing with that is the ability to process information. Mm. And, you know, and as an, they're worried about things like encryption and security. Mm. So all the passwords and uh, things that are in- encrypted, even things like even you look at like cryptocurrency that mm. relies on uh, encryption that can't be decrypted. It would take mm. so many thousands of millions of years for a conventional computer to decrypt it. Quantum computer can do in like two hours what takes 160 million years for the fastest classical computers available. So just today. I just want to pause there because that is just for, so you're talking about the fastest like it's that level of difference that quantum can be. It's not like oh yeah they're 10 times faster. No. You're, you're talking about like they are potentially billions of times faster than the best yeah certain that we things have. certain things they're not going to be replacing classical computers in the way that we uh, as far as we understand it they're very, they're going to be very good at processing certain types of yeah. information they're a very different kind of way to to do computing completely different to, yeah. to how we do it now certainly for doing things like breaking encryption i would suspect training AI models and things yeah. like that. Machine learning is going to be a, a key enabler of that. So yeah. once we kind of couple into it, that kind of processing capability, it is a kind of a scary concept yeah. in a way, you know. And so, so if you add that level of computing mm. power, so we're talking potentially billions of times more powerful. Already with standard computing, we've got this exponential growth. So in one year, ChatGPT is. 10 times more powerful than chat GPT-3 in terms yep. of its mm-hmm. uh, intelligence, let's call that. But if you add this, you know, quantum computing to that's what you're calling about, that's what you're calling convergence. So already with standard computing, we're looking at at just remarkable exponential growth, like yep. uh, rice on the chessboard times mm-hmm. 10 and then 10 by 10, but, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet you add quantum computing to that and it's yep. just like almost unthinkable. Yeah. And the other thing that's sort of feeding into that is at the moment we're developing the training models for AI. Mm. So we're, we're still in control as far as I know, who knows what goes on behind. Mm. I'm sure the military's has other, other ideas, but at this point we're in control. We, we create the data, we feed the models, we allow, we train AI, but it's inevitable that we will then have AI training the AI. Yeah. So yeah, that's that, right. That yeah, yeah. compounding effect, because the race is on now to harness AI technology. Mm. If you look at it from a military perspective, the militaries are all going to see this as a real chance to that will have to harness the power of it mm. as quicker than we can with our enemies. So that's in itself is going to spare on the need to find ways of training AI quicker and quicker and quicker. So once we have AI training the AI, that is in itself another exponential mm. driver in yeah, there. Yet another thing. Yeah. Another that's thing right. that yeah. just kind of turns up the volume. So so then so so you've got you've got that and then you've got this sort of exploration of what I've called synthetic biology, mm-hmm. which is a biological upgrades to us uh, yeah. as humans, and you put that in there. And even, you know, there's, I just watched on the news last night, the successful test of a brain implant that yeah. they were able to do certain things just by thinking, mm-hmm. control the technology just by thinking about it. So, yeah. you know, with a chip in the brain. So, so there's, you know, we know how to manipulate DNA. We've mapped the human genome. We, you know, we, we've, so there's obviously this now converging as part of this as well, this um, issue of synthetic biology. Yep. Yeah. So, that whole area. That, so now, when we're talking about AI, we're, we're, we're talk, most people's experience of AI is like Chat GPT, and mm. you go in and you can have conversations with it, and you feel like you're talking to a real human. Mm. And then we start planting, taking it out of the, out of just a computer we interact with, and we put it in vehicles for self-driving mm. vehicles, and then we can put it in machines. Um, at the military uses it now in drones and unmanned mm. warfare. And and mm. so on. So, AI is able to make decisions mm. in in warfare that we can't make as as humans, and they can be doing making those decisions as it's flying over and looking for targets and 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 things like that. So, we're planting it into machines, and then the next step will be you know we're already looking. We've got automated robotic vacuum cleaners and lawnmowers, and then I don't think we're too far off from having like home 
robot butlers that can take care mm. of doing other tasks around around the house. So we're gradually transplanting AI into you know into robots, robotic forms. But the but the other part of it is as well giving us as mm. humans superhuman powers, mm. and that's the the merging with with uh, genetic engineering and, and since you know hybrid we, we they call yeah. it with uh, transhuman and hi- yeah, yeah. hybrid machines where we're blending ai and embedding it in, into human yeah. beings in a way we've already been we're already doing that through, even just from mm. the internet we're already like supercharged humans yeah. compared yeah, to w- right. to where we have been but yeah. actually taking the capability of ai and plugging it into into us in the, in our you know, some sort of biological integration. That's a whole other thing mm. as well that they are working on mm. as quick as they as quick as they can. So all these things, and all these things are all being driven by the way that I kind of see it. We've got the technology there, like the genetic engineering, synthetic engineering, AI, and quantum computing, just to name three. And then sitting over that, we've got a whole range of geopolitical mm. forces going on with globalization whether it's climate change whether it's terrorism mm. and the, the threat of war mm. uh, and an instability in the world so we've got a lot of dynamics at play that is creating a real imperative and urgency to harness these technologies as quick as we can mm. and then sitting above that is of course our human predicament of greed power mm-hmm. and control so if you think of that pyramid and down the bottom this, you know, without getting into what AI can do today and what it's going to do tomorrow, the cat's out of the bag. You know, we've yeah. now got yeah. technologies all converging that allows us at the top of the pyramid, the pursuit of evil, to be amplified mm. in a way that's uh, faster and more dangerous than at any other mm. point in history. This, the point that you just made, is a point that Mustafa. Uh, Suleiman in his book, The Coming Wave, which is a recent publication uh, by Penguin Books, he you know says pretty much something like that. The cat's out of the bag now and we can't put it back in the bag. You, you, you can't really and, – and he discusses the fact that – and in fact, I listened to an interview with him, just a recent uh, interview, because of course this is moving so far, even since the pub- publication. This is the thing, yep. is that each yep. week you, you've got these weekly – Developments. Developments now. Yeah. And so even since he's written that book, there there are developments. So, you know, they're trying to put parameters, you know, like Europe and America are just trying to put parameters in place uh, for this. But then, you know, uh, they don't know what China, for example, is doing or not doing. And so you're in this because we live in a globalized world mm-hmm. and no one has the monopoly on this technology. It, you do sort of enter this race and the fact that w- we're in a militarized world, mm-hmm. there's inevitably going to be this race. And he's very, I mean, he's he describes himself, uh, Mustafa uh, Suleiman, he describes himself as a techno-optimist. So he says, he says I'm, not a, I'm not a Luddite, you know, and it's a sort of anti-technology. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm an optimist, but even I, he said, I can see some real... It's like real challenges here. Yep. And this is, I mean, it's partly why he writes the book, because it feels like a doomsday book. Mm. And he's saying, no, I'm a techno-optimist, mm. but as human beings, we need to recognize sort of together the, the risks here so we can tr- mm. do what we can to mm. to get on top of that. And, and of course, the human predicament doesn't make us and, and, good but, at that. Yeah, no. that's right. I'm not sure that that's yeah. a- as, You know, as a Christian with my Christian worldview, I'm thinking, yeah. oh, man, no. there's a bit of- that that's being very optimistic, optimistic. about human nature, and, mm-hmm. and I and I just don't quite uh, share that optimism. I am optimistic, may I say, and I'll just drop this in the middle mm-hmm. before we yeah, continue this, this conversation. I'm enormously uh, optimistic. I see yeah. in the midst of this. I mean, the kingdom of God is, starts like a seed and grows into a tree. Like yeah. we know the end of the story. Yeah, whatever's going to happen, the kingdom of God is going to flourish in the midst of this, mm-hmm. right? And. Mm-hmm. So let's just hold on to that, you know, mm. when we're part of God's purpose and, and we see this throughout the Bible on whatever you're reading of the Bible, uh, it's, you know, Jesus is Lord, yeah. uh, he's on the throne and often he lets these things happen and we know at the end, certainly in the book of Revelation, the church doesn't end up with sort of political power as such, it's actually the, you know, the beast out of the sea and the, mm. you know, the Antichrist. And mm. so in that sense, there are these hostile kind of, uh, you know, religio-political sort of powers uh, mm. in the world. 
And yet, alongside that, the church is rejoicing and singing about victory, and and it's 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 a wonderfully optimistic. So you get this this sort of polarized effect in in the Book of Revelation, where on the one hand. The world system has sort of come together as one, as, as, and you almost get this sense of technological, some level of um, almost self-deification. Hum- yeah. Humanity yeah. is managed by this stage to almost deify itself, which is interesting, actually, uh, in the light of Yuval Noah Harari's book, Homo Deus. He's, you know, one writer that uh, sort of addressed this, even, you know, sort of pre uh, I guess us crossing crossing the threshold, which is only a few years ago, I may say, mm. you know, and he was already contemplating this. And the title of his book, Homo Deus, is addressing transhumanism, saying mm. we're going to move from being Homo sapiens to Homo Deus, which means we're going to be like gods. Mm-hmm. Basically, we're going to become gods. Mm. And I mean, that's th- that feels like the book of revelation yeah. like it really yeah, yeah. feels like the book of revelation and we've got to be careful as christians we don't respond oh no i'm ter-, like that makes me feel afraid no if that's the case then we're going to be rejoicing yeah. you know yeah. like there's going to be some heart like look if our hope is in this world mm. and in the stability of this world system mm. there's not a lot of hope there but our hope isn't in that our hope is in Jesus, seek first mm. the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yep. That's the sure thing. The kingdom of God and his righteousness is the sure thing. Mm. So I put that there because I think it, it'd be good to talk about, uh, you know, where could all this go? I feel like we're now sort of plummeting towards something that looks very dystopian, mm. potentially, if you combine all of this potential yeah. technology with what we understand about human nature and mm. power and and the inevitable inability of human beings to mm-hmm. bring about a utopia on earth. So mm. as Christians, I don't think we, we can't rest back on the humanistic, that idea of humanistic utopia. That's not our worldview. Yeah. Mm. And yet we hold on to hope in the midst of that. But uh, hope is, you know, the very definition of hope comes from that groaning at the state of the world. And it's allowing that to lift our gaze from, you know, mm. sort of de-latching ourselves from this world system and putting our hope in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so hope is inspired by a sense of realism about the plight of humanity and the human condition. Mm. So I think we need to be prepared to uh, expect in some senses the worst when it comes to the world system, yeah. whilst being prepared as Christians to be the best possible influence in that. So, so ma- yeah. maybe maybe we can uh, yeah. talk a little bit about where we see all this going because I don't know what your what your thoughts are, but it looks pretty it looks pretty messy to me. I think it's going to get messy, and I think I don't tend to follow. You know, you, you could get, end up in conspiracy theories. And you can end up in all sorts of ideas of th- this is going to happen and this can happen and, and, and so on. You can end up in a whole lot of scenarios that start to look like conspiracy theory stuff. And I think one of the ways that I kind of look at conspiracy theories, they're trying to put a lot of detail behind the things that we know intuitively there are things at play in the world. Mm. They point to the fact that there are some dynamics that are the things that are happening that we should be concerned about. And I think then conspiracy theories start to put a whole lot of detail underneath that as to yeah, how that's going to come yeah. about. They, they tell, start to build up a, a, a bigger narrative around it. And so, and, it, and can I just mm. say just to that as well, because the nature, and, and this is not a podcast about conspiracy theory, no. but one of the, you know, the characteristic thing about conspiracy theory is, is it's, it's making comments about what's happening now, that this is happening now, has this sense of no one knows this, everyone is... Blind to no it. one sees mm. this except for us. This, mm, this is a, right. it's very similar to cult, a cultic phenomena mm-hmm. where no one sees this but us and everyone else is blinded, everyone else is sheep. But we know, you know, mm-hmm. like I, in as much as we're all imperfect and sinful, we're all playing into the, yeah. the problems in yeah. the world, right? So I can never separate myself. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm part of God's kingdom and I'm do, doing my best to be mm. part of the solution, but I'm also at least partly part of the problem, mm. uh, at least part of the time. So yeah. anyway, that's the nature of that. So, so yeah. I think there's, you know, like as far as the technology goes, I think AI is a fantastic technology. We don't mm. need to actually fear. Mm. I don't think we need, need to fear any technology. Because I said no. before, like all technology 
every progression of technology is harnessed for good and and bad. So the technology is never never the mm. problem. It's always the bigger problem mm. with humanity mm. anyway as a whole. So how we it, use it. Yeah, it's how we use it. And I, I, the problem is is that it's an amplifying, accelerating effect. I think is what we're seeing with mm. the convergence that's coming now. And it enables us to do things that we couldn't do before. So if you were look, you know, you would look at things like, say, uh, globalization. The world, the world's going to have to become more of a global structure rather mm. than a local structure because it's going to be get harder and harder to deal with global conflicts and terrorism and and things like that. So the tools that we've got available now. And I think struggling with de- democracies and that democracy tends to be quite a slow process of you know responding to change because you've got to deal with populist governments and so on. I think as changing geopolitical things start to happen, the only way we're going to think we can probably solve the problem is to sort of centralise some of the control and the mm. response. So we'll probably end up giving up more to centralised mm. decision-making. And tools like... AI will information technology and communications mm. technology allows has allowed the world to become a much mm. smaller place. So mm. we can see all of that happening anyway in terms mm. of all of that kind of stuff with finance and and so on. So ideally, if you've got terrorists, instead of going and bombing, flattening flattening a whole city to try to kill the terrorists, it'd be a lot better if someone in a control room could press a button and turn the terrorists off by cancelling their bank accounts, for example. Mm. You know, so. Mm. I kind of think these things will ultimately become in- inevitable in in some form. And I think things like artificial intelligence then will allow us to be a lot more precise in our warfare. And so instead of big bombs, we've got like little bombs that'll come and actually hunt people down as individuals and control society and, you know, surveillance and watching people and global compliance. I think all those things will start to emerge more in, in, in some, in some form. And I think overall, without getting into the detail, because I'm only just- Which, which all of that comes with associated problems. <laughs> it, it causes as many problems Absol- as it yeah, solves. That's right. Course. That's right. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of detail you can get into in that. Um, but I think the the bottom line is the world is going to change. Yeah, the, what we're used to is 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 going to change, and it, we always know that. Even just the threat of war yeah. changes everything. You look at how the war, the world changed so quickly through the COVID pandemic, mm. um, how we reacted so quickly mm. to, to that, and that changed a lot of the rules and dynamics yeah. of how we function as a society. So things can change very quickly, and I think a lot of the things are in place now to actually drive that next evolution of change in how the world works, mm. functions, yeah. the world order. And we, we know all of this is sort of going to happen anyway from Revelation, and we know that it's going to become more polarizing in mm. terms of how we as Christians are polarized mm. to how the world is progressing. So mm. I think the world order, the world order is going to change our worldview isn't going to change. Mm. Who we are in God, the worldview we've been well, talking part about. Of our, part of our story is that this kind of happens. We, ex- yeah. we yes. expect yes. it yeah. to happen. And we I shouldn't yeah. be surprised. Yeah. Which, exactly. I think the way I kind of see it is almost like we just become an observer of the, what's, what's happening. We expect it. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. The problem is we have to dig into our worldview, which isn't going to change. Mm. But we will become more polarized, I think, because yeah, I think in order to participate in that kind of new world mm. that we see it's going to come, we will have to give up a lot of our perceived autonomy. Yeah, that's probably a good way. I was going to say rights and freedom probably won't be that way. It'll be more uh, our autonomy a bit into more centralized systems with technology mm. will be able to to keep us safe and sort of work together and. I, I, I can't help but think of Brave New World, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, where it's a dystopian novel that mm-hmm. pictures a, a technological society that produces maximal pleasure for all of all of the citizens uh, of the world. So it's this one world kind of mm. system, but it's it doesn't produce freedom because uh, people are sort of locked in the, the the great slogan is no leisure from pleasure because if there's leisure from pleasure then people will cease to be docile pleasure our pursuit of pleasure in in this novel is essentially and this is like in the written in the 30s it's actually amazing mm. it's it's a very prescient novel because it's predicting that 
people are going to live for pleasure and whoever feeds the pleasure to them is basically going to keep the, the uh, them so addicted to those pleasures that mm. they'll basically maintain a fairly docile world population. And yet it, it also shows how that's very dehumanising, that in some ways that that constant situation of pleasure is not – we're made for something greater and, yeah. and even though I mean Aldous Huxley's a not, not a theist Steve, I think he's very much a humanist but he, he he sees you know this sort of happening already in the 30s well dehumanizing is one of the problems with artificial intelligence because if you believe from a naturalistic perspective that all our thoughts and even our ability to reason is yeah. entirely down to the neurons firing in our brain mm. then there's really no difference between us and a machine. And a machine, because our intelligence then is artificial too, mm. because we don't have real intelligence. It's just, it's just, it looks like it because the neurons are firing a certain way and it it looks like we're able to, to think with some degree of freedom mm. as if we're in control of thoughts and rationalizing ideas and so on. So, mm. you know, maybe our intelligence as well is, is artificial in a naturalistic worldview and really in some ways, well, all the artificial intelligence systems are based on something called neural networks, which is a simulation of the neural, yeah. how the brain works, the neural pathways and so on. So we're trying to model the brain anyway in, in how it works. So if we build up intelligent systems using the same model, what is what is actually then the difference between artificial intelligence and our intelligence? Mm. Now, I think from a Christian worldview, I would say that I think our ability to reason and to think isn't just based on the neural pathways, but there's a soul, a spiritual aspect to that. There's a me that isn't completely defined by the processes, biological processes mm. of, of my body. So even when I have thoughts, it's not just because neurons are firing a certain way. Mm. I, myself, in my soul, have thoughts that I can perceive in my in my body and it, this is where science if you're totally naturalistic then they're trying to work out at which, what point which the scientific method is the scientific method works with a closed system yeah and so if it whenever it makes the move to sort of defining reality it's always going to define reality as a closed system because it can't its method isn't you know isn't really able to work with mm. uh, with the open system whereas and and this is the interesting thing about this is that I think it's going to highlight what actually is unique about us as as humans mm. because it's interesting that while all this is happening in science in philosophy there's been this big shift away from the materialistic mm -hmm. view and I've uh, cited the uh, you know Oxford University press publication from back in 2016 I think it was called the waning of materialism which is a whole lot of leading philosophers saying why they think it's materialism which is the view that there is only physical reality and there's no other and and that even uh, consciousness is a uh, emergent property of matter you know and what i mean by that is is that our brains create consciousness or emit consciousness yeah. well uh, a lot of philosophers now have turned against that you know turned against that view you know australian philosopher david chalmers thomas nagel uh, in in a recent book, uh, Mind and Cosmos, uh, Chalmers' book is the Conscious Mind. There's lo just a mm. lot of it's spawned this, and I've referred to this before. What is it? I mean, they're calling it a neo Aristotelianism because Aristotle had this view that th there was this kind of spiritual aspect. I mean, he believed in the soul, for example. He's slightly different account of the soul to the to the Christian view, but you know, there's this kind of return mm. to something much more spiritual and an openness to um and there's a few different ways of understanding that Ian McGilchrist actually uh summarizes three main views around consciousness the first is the materialistic view which is that the brain emits consciousness so consciousness is just a result of the computer you know the, mm. the neural networks of the brain now on that view just people machine. who believe that think yeah. that therefore we could create a machine well, that's would be what conscious. They, that's yeah. what they think. That that's AI right. yeah. will become yeah. conscious. I mean, there was a, a case a year ago, one of the Google key Google yeah. people who were working in their AI development team, and they actually quit Google because they were convinced that this AI machine that they'd created had somehow become 
conscious. I don't think that really makes, but they were convinced of it. They don't know how, but, and that's almost the expectation of the scientists working on this is that the next threshold is that with all of this development of AI, it will suddenly spawn itself consciousness. Like we won't even design it to be conscious. It will just, it will have so much ability to, to be, have that intelligence that it will just actually just start to emerge. Yeah, which again, and and a lot in in the world of philosophy, they're just they're saying that's ridiculous. You're, you're making a yeah. a log like a logical jump there that you, you just can't but make. The, but the scientists uh, and the philosophers aren't on the same page on this. Like they're they're not consulting and, and with the each reason, other, and, and probably and, don't even respect each other well, really, do they? Well, the, I mean, the the reason is too is that again, scientists are working with a closed system, mm-hmm. right? There, there's an there's a philosophical assumption. That, and, and I'm not saying when I say scientists, not not all scientists believe. I'm talking about scientists that hold to this materialistic closed yeah. system. Mm. Yeah, that they are make what philosophers point out is that they're making a base assumption that itself cannot be verified by their own scientific method, right? So, so it's a faith assumption, and the faith assumption. Uh, well, that's actually I shouldn't say that because it's the, actually not quite what what faith is. But it's a it's a well, it's an assumption. It's an mm. unfounded assumption that there is only material reality and that is it. Um, now, you know, philosopher pointing out that you that that's a massive jump, that that assumption is completely unfounded and there is actually even good reason to think that that isn't the case. And But that's the that, – that's, that's yeah. that, that view. The two other view, interesting views are the second view is, is in relation to the brain and consciousness is that the brain transmits consciousness. The brain is like a transmitter. Now, that, that would – that would get close to probably what we would uh, mm-hmm. say as you know as Christians that that the brain is still completely uh, we we live through the brain in a sense but yep. we can't be reduced to the brain then then there's an interesting view that is espoused by Ian McGilchrist who is this uh, philosopher neurologist uh, that's written a couple of books a recent book called The Matter of Things and then another book called The Master and His Emissary where he he sees consciousness as being permitted by the brain. He thinks consciousness is a universal, yeah, like a mentalist in the sense yeah. that he thinks that the most foundational aspect of reality is is mental, and there are, and that the brain taps per- permits taps mm. into that and kind of uh, like a light shining through a little slit. You know what I mean? It lets yeah. through a certain amount of that. Is it like? And, and we identify that as us. Is that like? That's his. It's view. Almost like. The universe is almost conscious, like we're living in. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sort of consciousness yeah. itself. Now, now, of course, there are elements of truth, you know, in these. But it just—I think it just shows where. And he's not a, a Christian, or so it, it. It shows now that this whole field has been—it's wide open. It's yeah. But, C- uh, could I just say though? I think the issue is, regardless of what we think, the philosophers think where the AI is going. It's getting ahead of our ability. To say, oh, well, actually, we don't think that's because it's just going to go anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah, is yeah, kind of what right. we're and saying think, here. And I think the yeah. danger here is it's going to get so good at mimicking, for want of a better word, and and yeah. the scientists might hate me using the term mimicking because it's going to suggest, as you say, it can mm-hmm. actually do it, mimicking human consciousness. Yeah. That we are going to have to be really mindful of the fact that these machines are not the yeah. sacred creation of yeah, that's, our God. And that, that's a good point because even now, cha- I mean, even chatting with chat. GPT three, yeah. like man, I mean, I started these, you know, these conversations just to kind of test this thing, and you know, these fi- like philosophical conversations. I'm not asking mm-hmm. it, you know, to compute, no. you know, just some sums and no, this is complex, you know, asking complex philosophical questions and and to make judgments about different views and I, I was and that was Chat GPT three, yes. right? And you know, the more time went on, the more I was getting almost subliminally fooled into this treating this like this is I'm having a conversation well, you with a person. Polite. You start yeah. to say so thank I, you. Yeah, so I'm starting <laughs> to say thank you and oh that's a really good point. I'm starting to convert because yeah. it's or if I ask it to, to clarify, this. if I push back on something it's saying will it get its feelings yeah. hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, you know, so, so I have to word automatic. it in a way that's just, not that's not going to offend it. That's right. It's it's, like, it's automatic. And so this is really interesting because it I think it it forces us to recognize uh, you know well what is the difference? You know Aristotle 
defined the essence of human as being we're a rational animal, right? We're we're an animal, but we, you know, what is essential to is the use of rationality. Well, now AI can do that, right?、Mm-hmm. So that's kind of if that's all there is, then then AI is no different to us. But you know, according to the Christian worldview. We are created in the image of God, so we have this element in which we participate in the divine nature. Now it's ironic that we're, of course, part of the fall, and the whole trajectory of the fall of human beings is this endeavor for us to be autonomous gods. And man, you can be and this、like、is where、God. you see,、yeah. you know, this whole trajectory of human history. You see that exactly that happening.、Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's us being autonomous gods, gods apart from God, where we become. God, as、mm. opposed to children of God, you know, participating、mm-hmm. in the divine nature, that essentially, you know, have this wonderful sort of oneness with God in relationship with God. You, you really see that happening. So, so I think well, it's like it almost like a technology equivalent of the Tower of Babel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so I think, in a way, a lot of these sorts of things start that it creates a polarization effect. I think that actually. I see happening in you know whenever the future's addressed in the teaching of Jesus or even in the Old Testament or in the in a book of Revelation, you see a polarization effect. Okay,、mm. it gets darker in the world system, but the light shines more distinctly in the darkness. So I think you know part of this is that we have the more technologically the more technology advances, the more I think we will be faced with questions around what are we and what is the meaning of life.、Mm-hmm. I think those questions will press. I I feel like already now this is happening, yeah, and, and it's and it's it's being noted that、yeah. people are starting to ask more spiritual questions. Yeah, yeah. the the more technological and sort of non-human that we get. In in that sort of sense,、yeah. you know, the more we're asking questions about meaning and、yeah. and human existence and what are we and human consciousness, and this is a really interesting time、yeah. to be a Christian. So I'm thinking there too that despite how hard it we often complain or think it is to be a Christian in society nowadays, you can be a Christian pretty easily, in, at least in our、mm. culture and society.、Mm. And and that has its pros and cons because、mm. it means it means that yeah, well、point. it gives us the freedom to to do that, but it also means we allow ourselves to be absorbed into the、mm. culture and we build our home here、mm. in the sense of this is where we belong and this is where we kind of see our future and and building our life,、mm. how what we see for our life, we invest heavily into building it into the the worldview. That's the same as the worldview of everyone else、mm. in, 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 you know, around us in society. It's not necessarily、mm. the worldview that God gives us, and, and so a lot of that it, it allows、yeah. us just to accidentally become part of that. I think this polarization, where it becomes clearer, is that people then have to go. Well, actually, it's going to get harder. I think it's going to get harder for us to hold on to our worldview. In the worldview that's going to be coming,、mm. and so we have to make a deliberate choice on which worldview we want、mm. to stand on. That can only be a good thing,、mm. and and that polarization will hopefully force people to have to make that as a deliberate choice. You can't、yeah. just accidentally emer- you know merge into one of them. You have to have to choose which one you're going to stand on, and that. Really comes back to what do we do now with it? You know, we make those choices now, so that we don't have to feel f- fearful when we see change happening、mm. in society that could be quite fearful、mm. as Christians. That、yeah. we can, as I say, like even for myself, I kind of look at it. And I think it's interesting. I don't think I'm afraid of it. I don't think how bad it could possibly get. I kind of think through the scenarios, think, gee, this could re- really, really bad, <laughs> you know, really,、mm. really quickly. But I'm actually not. I don't think I'm afraid of it because I think as long as you can kind of get that, what what, what worldview are you going to anchor yourself into? You've got to be. You can almost stand back a bit and go, "Well, it's happening. I can stand back and observe it and find it interesting,、mm. but not be so invested in it that I become fearful." As things are being taken、yeah. away from, I, I think that's been really the purpose of the whole series that we've been doing is trying to understand、mm. what is it we believe about who God is and and how that impacts our lives and and why do we、mm. believe that? And I think you know your comment before about 
you know, getting to the place of recognizing this isn't, we're not meant to like it here. You know, that whole illustration yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've given a number of times through this series, uh, Matt, about this is a mission field. We're dropped yeah. in, we've got a job to do, and then we're going to get lifted yeah. out. I think it's really, it's, it's going to be increasingly important that we understand that's our role as yeah. Christians in this, in this yeah. earth. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, I guess I face this with a sense of optimism, um, but also there's a sobering element to this because I find myself asking the question, am I too tied into this world system? You know, yeah. I've just got to be careful that I'm not so tied. I mean, and we this is the problem is that we all are to some extent. Like when I hear, you know, about, you know, the wars and rumors of wars, <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, uh, but what about my superannuation? Mm. Like, how's the, you know, yep. how's the economy? You know, is this mm. going to, you know, yeah. Yeah. and and then I double check myself. I think, oh man, I've got to be, I've got to not put my hope yeah. in my superannuation account, in my this, in in my investments, in my, and there's nothing wrong with being invest invested in in a in that sort of pragmatic level, in, because we're meant to participate. We're yes. not we're not meant to be a monastic mm. community. You know we're. Uh, you know, we're meant to participate and be in there in life, in the world, be in the world, but not of the world. So so we participate in, in civil life, but we just got to be careful. So, so I'm not, no one go off and, you know, start a, you know, like a doomsday. Sell uh, everything. Do, and, yeah, yeah. Doomsday compound, you know, off in the Otways or something. Uh, because we're not meant to do that. We're meant to be in amongst uh, people and contributing to society, tr- contributing to the good uh, of society. But in that, we need to be careful that we're not getting so invested that we're really hoping in this, that we're saying, oh, gee, I hope this, you know, I hope everything gets Sorted goes out. well yeah. Yeah, and everything gets well. And we can find ourselves hoping for that humanistic utopia. I mean, yes. you know, when I, yes. you know, when I, read books like Steven Pinker, he's a sort of classic optimistic humanist and, you know, will come up with all the solutions to our own problems in his book, uh, Enlightenment Now. I found myself reading that book and thinking, oh, thank goodness for that. It'll be all right. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll be okay. But I'm not thinking, no, but that he's, he's part of this humanistic dream of creating a technological human-built utopia. And I know it doesn't end like that, right? Yes, yeah. So I've just got to be careful that I'm hoping in the right thing. I think that's great. And yeah. the three words I use, self-worth, security, and significance. Yeah. Where do you find your self-worth, your security, yeah. and your significance? That's right. And really, if it's in anything other than Jesus, yeah. you're going to be disappointed. That's right. And for me, it it does actually, all of this has this polarizing effect because it takes me back to the pathway of the purpose of God because the pathway of the purpose of God has flourished through all of the changes through human history, all of the changes of empire going right back from the time of Abraham, all of those times when even God's covenant people should have been wiped out again and again. They were the only ones that survived, like the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Persian Empire, those have risen and fallen, the Roman Empire, you know, the church, you know, flourished to the Roman Empire. The pathway of God's purpose has been a straight way right through the midst of absolute chaos of the rise and fall of the world system. And we know it will continue to. So for me, that says, okay, stay on that path. Get connected with what Jesus is doing. Make that priority your priority. And that is the most secure place to be. It's not that bad things won't happen. It's not that you won't suffer from the things that that are going to happen in the world because God puts us in the same boat. But it means that your destiny is absolutely secure when you are in God's purpose. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Thrive Perspectives. Our hope is that these discussions will challenge you to look at life from a new perspective. You'll find all our resources at the Thrive Today website, thrivetoday.tv. If there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email us. Our email is contact at thrivetoday.tv. Until next time, our prayer is that you will thrive.